And now, everyone, it is time for our study of God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. We're continuing our study through the book of Exodus, and today we will be finishing the Ten Commandments. We will be looking at the tenth and final commandment, which is found in Exodus 2017. So if you have your Bibles, open there, turn there. I'll begin by reading the text of Scripture, praying, and we'll get into our study this morning. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. This is God's Word. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning and we just pray that your word would reveal the truth about each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would graciously grant us humility to receive your word today to receive correction about anything in our lives that you want to transform. And so, Lord, I just pray for attentive minds and hearts. I pray a willingness to receive your word with gladness and joy. And I pray that, Lord, not only would we be people who live moral lives outwardly, but that we would be men and women who are transformed from the inside out. And so, Lord, I just ask for a blessing over this message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was the first female prime minister of Britain, Margaret Thatcher, who once said, you may have to fight a battle more than once in order to win it. And I think that couldn't be more true with respect to the battle of our hearts. Again, many battles outwardly, perhaps we can have victory over a certain sin, over a certain area of our lives. I know I can speak personally that there's just certain outward sins that were a problem in my teenage years, younger years, and those things just aren't really a problem for me now. They're just not really uh, something I am tempted by. It's just I'm in a different place. But I think one of the things we can misunderstand is that because we're not tempted by a particular thing, that therefore everything about us is good, that we are okay. And of course, that erroneous belief is completely exposed when that day comes suddenly and unexpectedly, when a sin someone has never committed before suddenly leaps onto the scene and destroys lives, destroys families, destroys businesses, destroys a country, what have you. And so I think it's so important that we look at this law of God and see that it's not only concerned with outward morality, but that the word of God is concerned with the human heart and the desires that are found there. The reason that this will always be a problem, in Thatcher's words, why we're always going to have to fight this battle, this inward battle of desire, is first and foremost because we are creatures of desire. 
We are actually creatures of desire. There is no way, regardless of who you are or how long you've been walking with Jesus or even how moral you are outwardly, there's always going to be a battle of desire. And the reason is fundamentally, we are creatures of desire. God has actually made us that way. If we were not desiring creatures, we just didn't desire anything, then the 10th commandment would be meaningless. It is because we are actually creatures of desire that the 10th commandment is actually a problem. Now, where am I getting this from? Because for some of you, you may look, of course, at Exodus 20:17, and the word there is covet, which seems to be a little bit more of a narrow, narrow idea than desire. Uh, specifically in this text, um, it, it seems to speak of desiring something that belongs to somebody else. And in that context, you might be tempted to think that that's all that it means. But what I want to show you is that although that is a right interpretation of this word in this particular context, the word itself is much broader and it simply means desire. Let me give you a few key examples. So the Hebrew word used here that's translated as covet is the Hebrew word chamad. Hamad is a relatively rare word in the Hebrew Bible, used just 21 times, and it means desire. That's its basic meaning. Let me give you a couple key examples, which I think are going to be helpful for us in understanding how it is being used here and what it ultimately means for our lives. Uh, Genesis 2 and 3. So, of course, this is the creation narrative. We're talking about God creating the world good. When he created Adam and Eve, he created them as desiring creatures. That's not bad. That's not wrong. We have desires. And yet, of course, then we see sin enter the world. We see the temptation of the devil. We see Eve make a decision to disobey God. And then, of course, desire is changed at that point. But look real quick. If, if you want to write down the reference, that's fine. I'll read it to you. But Genesis 2, 8 through 9. Listen to this. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant. Hamad. It is pleasant or desirable to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So notice the word chamad, the same word being used here. Uh, it doesn't mean covet. It doesn't have anything to do with um, sin per se uh, or desiring something that somebody else wants. No, it's the idea of something that is desirable. And notice that it's God who actually made something desirable. So again, the fact that we are desiring creatures, the, fa the fact that things generally are desirable is not the problem per se. But look what happens here beginning in Genesis 3, 6 through 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable, chamad, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So again, you're starting to see that this word being translated here as covet 
is more broadly desire. And even though I think the word covet has a negative connotation, we do in modern English sometimes use it positively. As a matter of fact, Christians may sometimes say, friends, I'm going through a really painful, difficult time right now. I would really covet your prayers. So we know that even though that word is, is kind of loaded in English, negative, speaking specifically about something, wanting something that somebody else has, uh, again, the word actually is much more broad than that. And I think that's important because that's ultimately the root of the Ten Commandments. 10th commandment. That is actually the main point of it. Um, let me give you a couple more examples of this word chamad. Uh, one of them is Psalm 19.10. And I want to point out here that the same word being used in the 10th commandment is used positively. We are actually told to chamad. We are actually told to desire. Look at Psalm 19 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired, chamad, are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. So we're told to, chamad, we're told to desire. Again, that's the same word, so it is more broad in its lexical or dictionary definition. And then lastly, just to kind of seal the deal here that this word doesn't mean necessarily, um, doesn't always mean something that's bad. The same word is used of God himself. Psalm 68, 16 says this, Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires, Hamad, which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. So first of all, note, we are desiring creatures. That is not a bad thing. It's an inescapable thing. There's things in the world God created to be desirable. God wants us to desire certain things, and God himself desires. So the reason 10th commandment is even going to matter is because first and foremost, we are desiring creatures. There's no way you're going to get out of that. But the question is, if we are desiring creatures, then why shouldn't we all indulge our desires? That's a question that is being asked and answered right now in our culture. For many people, there's this idea of human nature that if you desire something, you must indulge it. You ought to indulge it. In fact, our culture is teaching us, it's teaching our kids and our grandkids that it is actually wrong. Listen to this, friends. It is actually wrong not to indulge your desires. That is what we're being told. The idea of denying our desires, suppressing our desires, pushing them away, allowing them to be changed and transformed or redirected towards a greater desire is actually bad or wrong. So what's wrong with that idea? The idea that we should just indulge all of our desires. So while it's true we are creatures of desire, and therefore desire is not necessarily wrong, so there's a little bit of truth. There are obviously going to be desires we should indulge, we should pursue, because God made us desiring creatures. But here's the problem. Because of sin, you and I are born as creatures of distorted desire. Listen to that. This is what the Bible has to say to our world today, to our culture. We are born as creatures of distorted desire. 
In other words, right from the get-go, even though we're not saying it's wrong to desire things, even though we're going to affirm it can even be good and that it's inescapable more broadly, yet the Bible is going to say the idea that because I desire something deeply, or perhaps it's always been there as far back as I can remember, that therefore it is good is fundamentally heretical. It is completely wrong. It is against the doctrine of human beings, anthropology, that the Bible gives. You and I, friends, are born into this world as not just creatures of desire, as Adam and Eve were first created. Rather, because of their sin, we are born as creatures of distorted desire. And that's something we should always be aware of every day day. No believer who believes in the Bible can wake up on any given morning and saying, everything I desire is good. Every desire I have ought to be indulged, and it would be wrong to deny it. Friends, that is a fundamentally heretical idea. Again, we're not saying all desire should be suppressed. That's not even possible, nor would it be good. But neither can we say all desire must be indulged. All desire is good. For the Bible says we have been born creatures of distorted desire. Let me give you a passage of scripture. Of course, it would say it in different ways in many places, but let me give you a specific text where the matter is extremely clear and blunt. Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah says in 17.9, this is God speaking, <clears throat> The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen to that radical statement again, friends. You, you don't get this idea of we're all perfect creatures. Our desires are all good. Therefore, whatever you desire, especially desire deeply and for very long amounts of time that you should do it. No, listen to God. Get past the voice of Netflix and TV and the movies and music and all that. Get past that for a minute and listen to what God says. The heart, the human heart, is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? So friends, again, we are born as creatures of distorted desire. And we have to understand that. So the purpose of this law here, the 10th commandment, the law against coveting, is to reveal that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We are all sinners in need of... That is what the 10th commandment is doing. It is exposing that sin is not just what you do. It is what you desire. And that, friends, is a radical statement. This was a radical statement when it was given, and it is a radical statement today. See, back even in the ancient Near East, many Bible scholars and historians undertake the task to compare the Bible, and specifically the law codes, with various law codes of the ancient Near East. Famously, of course, is the Code of Hammurabi, and people will compare the Bible and its codes to the law of Hammurabi. But here's an interesting point that scholars have also noticed. While there are strong similarities 
between the various casuistic laws. That's the case laws. If this happens, then you should do this. While there is strong similarity there, scholars have noticed that it is impossible to find in any other law code of the ancient Near East a statement such as the Tenth Commandment. There is no law in other religions. There was no law in the ancient Near East against coveting. That would have been seen as an impossible standard. Now, these other laws you could find in other cultures, and it was possible. Is it possible to not commit adultery? Yes, of course it is. Is it possible not to murder somebody? Yes, it is. Is it possible to not rob them? Yes, it is. Even for a pagan non-believer who doesn't know the Bible, it's actually possible to do some of the Ten Commandments, that they don't need to know God or be a Christian in order to keep some of them. But friends, the Tenth Commandment pierces right to the heart. It says that outwardly you may not do this or that, but sin is not just that which you do, it is that which you desire. Sin is about wrongly ordered, distorted desires, and the law of God exposes that. This is an impossible standard. And there was a story in the Gospels where a man who was seemingly righteous, he kept everything. He was probably a great citizen. He would have been a great church member. And yet when he encountered Jesus, he had the true meaning of the law opened up to him, which I believe was based on the 10th commandment. Listen once again to this story that most of you probably know well, but I want you to think of it in light of the 10th commandment and in what we're saying today about the heart. It's called the story of the rich young ruler. Now behold, this is Matthew chapter 19. Now behold, one came to Jesus and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. The rich young ruler said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice what he's, he's quoting, the Ten Commandments, right? So our minds should be located right here. But where's the tenth commandment? He didn't. Jesus didn't mention that, did he? But think about this as we go on. The young man said to him, "All these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack?" Now this is quite interesting because even though this young man was religious, even though he was moral, he was a good citizen, probably a good member of the local synagogue, and yet he recognized that there was conviction. There, there was a sense of guilt, a sense that even though I look pretty good to people, I think something might be wrong. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. We well, you ask yourself, where's that commandment? I don't, I don't see that anywhere. Well, that's because it's not there. Not specifically, not outwardly, but the command is there inwardly. It says, verse 22, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great 
possessions. Do you see there? Jesus, I believe, is using the 10th commandment. He's saying, look, uh, there, there can be people out there that can look very moral. They can keep much of the law, but no one, everyone is a sinner when they look at the 10th commandment. Then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 23, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So notice that sin is not only an action, but distorted desires. This rich young ruler looked like he's keeping all the commandments, and yet the tenth deals not outwardly, but inwardly. It deals with what we desire most. And again, notice that this understanding of the 10th commandment where we see chamad as uh, a more broad word, just meaning desire, wrong desire or wrongly directed desire, that this speaks to the rich young ruler's situation. It doesn't say that the rich young ruler wanted what somebody else had. Rather, the idea is the rich young ruler desired what he had more than the kingdom of God. That is why he went away disappointed. If he wanted the kingdom of God more than anything, this could have been a joyous moment for him, for Jesus has revealed what he lacks in order to enter. But instead, this is a moment of sadness and conviction. Because perhaps for the first time consciously, the rich young ruler realizes he has chamad. He has desires for worldly things more than the Lord. And that is the root of the problem. So you might say here, when it comes to the 10th commandment, that the law, the 10th commandment, doesn't help us change. Think about that. How does the 10th commandment actually help you to change? Well, the answer is it really doesn't. What it does do is expose the problem. It reveals that we are sinners in need of a Savior. So if the law doesn't help us change, then what hope is there? And the answer is that Jesus lived and died not only to forgive our sins, but to transform our desires. So in other words, that's the purpose of the law. Some people can keep the outward ones. No one can perfectly always desire at all times the things that God wants for them. Look at what Paul the Apostle says in Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So in other words, the law revealed we can't keep it, especially the 10th commandment. But Jesus came in order to do what we could not do. He says, he condemned sin in the flesh 
that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. There's no neutrality. The carnal mind, the unregenerate mind, is hostile to God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh, listen to this, cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. That is, if you trust in Jesus, then you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, which is the gift of those who trust in Jesus, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So the good news is that Jesus is not only forgiving our sins, but through the Holy Spirit, he is transforming our desires. That is one of the things that it means to walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What Jesus is doing is extending his lordship beyond the outward appearance to the desires of the heart. The Lord wants to transform our desires so that not only do we not desire to do the things we shouldn't do, but rather we begin to long for, yearn for, diligently seek after and desire the things of God, the kingdom of God, the things that are good. And so God is doing this on our behalf. And the law shows that all people need the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is no one out there. It is an impossible standard, according to the flesh, that we could desire only good all the time apart from the Spirit of God working in us. And so you might say, well, if Jesus lived the sinless, perfect life and died on the cross so we could be forgiven. And it's through the Holy Spirit that his work is being applied to our hearts. Well, then do we not have any role to play? And the answer is that we do have a role to play. Fundamentally, our legal standing before God is not based on what we do. It is based on what Jesus has done for us. In other words, if you place faith in Jesus Christ, then God in the heavenly courtroom declares a not guilty verdict over you and instead declares you in the right, that you are righteous. And that is Christ's work and Christ's work alone on your behalf, received by trust, by faith. However, within that standing that we are sons and daughters of God, whether we have a good day or a bad day, but is it true that we are called to partner with God, to cooperate with God in what he is doing through the gospel? And the answer is an emphatic yes. Yes, we partner with God in the transformation of our desires. Now, let's look at a few ways we can cooperate with God in the transformation of our desires. Number one, take inventory of your desires. Number one, 
take inventory of your desires. I think we we live in a world where, like I said, fundamentally there's a heretical belief, which is if you desire it, it must be good. If you've always desired it, it must be really important. Uh, we deny that. Christians deny that. The Bible denies it. it. says that's absolutely not true. We are creatures of distorted desire. Even those of us who have the Spirit, we now have a new nature so that we are uh, supernaturally natural, desiring things of the kingdom. And yet we all know, as Paul just said in Romans 8, that we still have a sin nature. And that means practically there's still going to be desires that any believer has, including pastors, just like me, that we're still going to have desires that are not fully conformed to the image of God. And so step one is becoming aware of that. And I think what that entails is that tales taking time regularly, if not daily, certainly weekly, and spending some time with the Lord, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, and become conscious. Just write down your desires, not necessarily what you're doing. <clears throat> A lot of people write down their schedules. Well, I'm doing this and I'm driving here and I'm going there. That's great. Write down your desires because many desires that you have, you have not acted on yet. And so many of us just think it's not important. I don't need to deal with it. It's not bad. It's not a problem. It hasn't turned into an action yet. Friends, every evil action begins with an evil desire. Every evil action begins with an evil desire. And we are called pe people who are called to cut sin off at the root. And that is in the place of desire. Now, how are you going to do that if you don't even know what they are? When we say desire, again, that doesn't mean it's always conscious. Um, you, you can have desires of, of many kinds, in, including illicit desires, that you're not always aware of because you're focused on something else. We're not like God where we can intuitively know all things at one time. No, we think discursively. That means we can only have one thought after another. We can't think about everything at once. And our brains would start melting down and we get overwhelmed with anxiety when we do that. So it's important that we become conscious so take inventory of your desires. Write down, what am I longing for? Gosh, I'm really longing to get a new house. I'm longing to quit this job. I'm longing to vote this way or that way. Whatever it is, what are you desiring? Just begin writing those things down. That is step one. And I would encourage you, err on the side of writing down too much. That's because sometimes there's desires that don't look bad on the surface, but they are wrongly ordered or they are disproportionate. So example, a, a desire for uh, earning a living. Well, that's not wrong. I wouldn't think to write that down. Well, if you are so obsessed with, with making money that you care less about serving God, then that is a, a distorted desire. And Jesus says that. Don't be like the pagans who worry all day long about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, and what they're going to wear. That's what pagans do. But you don't be anxious for those things, but seek first the kingdom of God. So err on the side when you're doing this inventory. Write down kind of everything you're desiring and don't filter it out. It's more of a brainstorming inventory where you're going to say perhaps more than is necessarily wrong, but you're going to go back over it later and you're going to allow God to show you. Are any of these things not of you? Lord, pray over the inventory. Lord, is there any of these things that's not of you? that you want me to eliminate because it's not something I should desire at all. Maybe there's things I should desire, but I desire them wrongly too much or not enough. 
And so take inventory and pray over that inventory. Number two, confess responsibility for any and all illicit desires. Number two, confess and take responsibility for any and all illicit desires. Again, I think one of the things that, that we do is we want to, once again, just pretend it's not that bad or it's, or it's not my fault. And again, let me make it clear. I'm not saying that if you're tempted, that if something pops up, somebody says something, you see something, you hear something, that, that that's wrong, that you're not in control of your always, of your external stimuli. So that, that's not the thing itself. The battle is when you begin indulging in it. That's, that's the idea. And a great place to point this out is in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Listen to what James says. He actually unpacks this process. And by the way, when James uses the word desire, he's using the Greek word epithumia, which is the Greek translation of our Hebrew word today, hamad. So listen to what James says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, epithumia, or chamad. Then desire, epithumia, or chamad, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So again, we need to acknowledge it is when we begin to indulge in, in fantasy and in giving it time in our minds to think about, oh, the possibilities and what about this and, and would that make me happy? Oh, I would be so much happier. When you start going down that road, that is indulging in the desire. That's beyond temptation, which is not necessarily your fault, but you indulge in that desire. That's where we're responsible. So confess that as a sin. Don't wait until you actually do the thing, right? Where you go commit the action. No, you begin by confessing that it's a sin now. That's what the 10th commandment is getting at. And lastly, number three, the battle spiritually is not just against bad things. It is for good things. The, the chief way we defeat evil is by pursuing good. So number three, seek first the kingdom of God desire what is good. You're a desiring creature. You can't get away from that. But what we can do is choose what we will desire. Set our minds and hearts on the things that are good. Practically, this means praying, spending time in prayer, trusting God to transform your desire. Spend time in the word, listen to sermons, read your Bible, trusting God will transform your desire through his word. Fellowship, encouraging one another, whether it's in person or online or email or sending a letter or whatever the case is, you're encouraging one another. That is how God helps us to seek the kingdom and get the gospel out. Tell people about Jesus. Volunteer in your local church. Support a missions organization. Do whatever you can do to invest your treasure in heaven. And what we will see, friends, is that not only can Jesus transform our desire, he will transform our desires. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise you for your word that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, I just thank you so much that you reveal our own hearts to us, Lord, that we are desiring creatures and that is not wrong. But Lord, because of sin, our, many of our desires are distorted. And so Lord, you in your Lordship want to transform our desires so that not only do we not seek and desire things that are evil, but rather that we long for and yearn zealously for the things that are good. 
So Lord, it is my prayer for all of us today that we would desire your kingdom more than anything else and that any desire that gets in the way of serving you and your kingdom, that we would push to the wayside. We would submit to service to the king. We ask for this blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, just a few announcements before we go today. Again, this week we have prayer meetings Monday through Friday. We have a one-hour live prayer meeting on Facebook on the Calvary Chapel Facebook page at from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday through Friday. Uh, for our local church, we also have a prayer meeting on Fridays at noon as well on Zoom, so you can participate that as well. We have a Wednesday night midweek Bible study, which even though we have Thanksgiving on Thursday, we still will be doing that, so I encourage you to join us for that. Uh, again, those of us that were able to join us for in-person meeting, it was, it was a joy and it was a pleasure. I understand some people their schedules, they can't always make it, or they're concerned about uh, COVID and whatnot. Again, um, we want to try to make room and space and, and appreciate wherever God has you and whatever your convictions are. We want to try the, our best to be welcoming and loving and to prefer our, our neighbors to love one another. Um, but just to give you a heads up, our goal from this time forward is to do one in-person service a month. That's our goal. So we're going to try right now. We're looking at December 13th or 20th. Um, couple of things we have to work out before we can nail that down, but we do know January 24th, and we're going to have a special guest speaker, former U.S. Navy SEAL Chad Williams, who is a great Christian man, does a lot of ministry evangelism, so he's going to be sharing a special message. Encourage you to put January 24th on your calendar and come out and support and be there for Chad as he delivers the word to us. And again, friends, let me just close with this prayer of blessing before you go about your day. May the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you all so much. Again, if you'd like to give, you'd like to tithe and support the church and continue the work of the ministry, you can do that on our website, which is imagechurchoc.com. There's a giving tab at the top. You can also mail a check, and this information's on our website as well, imagechurchoc.com, to 27762. Antonio Parkway, L is in Larry, 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California, 92694. Again, if you want to support us, you're able to. If not, we are still appreciating you joining us and attending online. God bless you all, and have a blessed rest of your day.